This morning we'll begin our time for the next couple months. We'll be working our way through the Lord's Prayer. And this morning we'll look at the introduction to the Lord's Prayer and a little bit of what Jesus says after it as well from the Gospel account in Luke. And so we'll begin in Luke 11, verses 1 to 13. And as soon as I'm done reading that, we'll hop back over to Matthew 6. might be wise for you to keep the Bible open in front of you and then keep a finger in either passage because we'll bounce back and forth a little bit as we go through the teaching of Jesus recorded by the Gospel writers. And you'll notice a, a couple differences between Luke's account and Matthew's account. And of course, you can expect that Jesus, being a man of prayer, would have taught on prayer on more than one occasion. And so, almost certainly, we see two different teachings of Jesus regarding the same, regarding the same topic. But before we read, starting in Luke, let's pray together. God, we come before you. We want to echo the words of the disciples. Lord, teach us to pray. As we come to your word this morning, Lord, teach us to pray. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 11, starting in the first verse. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receive, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And then we'll move to Matthew 6, reading verses 5 to 8. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. The Lord's Prayer is one of those central pillar statements of the Christian faith, of the Christian church. You can think of perhaps three central short statements of the Christian faith. You 
can put together the Apostles' Creed, the Ten Commandments, and the Lord's Prayer, and you could go a long ways in understanding what it means to be a follower of Christ in those three documents. And this, of course, isn't just my opinion, but the Reformed Confessions and Catechisms, the Heidelberg Catechism, the Westminster Catechisms, they all address these three simple statements. And so we come now to one of those central statements on Jesus' teaching of prayer with the Lord's Prayer. And the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. And this is because Jesus was apparently and obviously to them a man of prayer. He was a man characterized by prayer. And in fact, Luke, Luke opens up the account he gives here in, in Luke 11 by saying, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. We find Jesus praying often. We find Jesus praying in John 17. We find Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. We find Jesus, for instance, praying while His disciples are out in the boat before He walks on water. You might remember that account. Jesus sends His disciples off in the boat across the lake, and He goes up on a hillside to pray. And then they go out in the boat, and, and the boat is rocking, and the, the waves are beating against it. They're threatened to be swamped and drowned. And Jesus sees them, and He walks out on the water to them after He was done praying. So Jesus Himself is a man of prayer, and Him being a man of prayer, they wanted Him to teach them to pray. And who better would there be to ask? When you think of who better there would be to ask about prayer, this is in His divine nature, the eternal Son of God, who even outside of time, from everlasting to everlasting, is in perfect communion with God. It's not possible for anyone to have prayed more because Jesus has prayed to the ultimate amount as the eternal Son of God. And then in His humanity as the Davidic Son of God, as the man, the Messiah, He is a man with a perfect prayer life. He epitomizes what it means to be a man of prayer. And so they ask, Lord, teach us to pray. And it, it must have been, and it's been noted, it, it must have been that Jesus rejoiced to hear the question. Or teach us to pray. Isn't that a holy thing to ask? Of all the things the disciples could have asked for, at this moment they say, Lord, teach us to pray. And so he proceeds to answer them and do just as they have asked. And I, I want to kind of break down the verses that we've read here so far into three different questions that I hope that, Lord willing, we'll be able to answer well as we go through. And the first question is, why do we pray? The second question is, how should we not pray? And the third question is, how should we pray? And so we begin first, why should we pray? Well, I think two of the answers that, that come right off the page is because Jesus did it, and because Jesus says that we should do it. Now, now, we don't always do exactly what Jesus did. He's a good example, but we ought not to think that we should always do what Jesus did. For instance, walking, trying to walk on water in the midst of a violent storm is not an example that we should follow. That's a good way to find yourself in trouble. But Jesus is a good example to follow in prayer, and he, and, and he implies that that is the case because he begins to answer when you pray. It is an assumption on Jesus' part that His people, that His disciples will in fact 
pray. And we see this elsewhere in the Scriptures as well. Paul teaches in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 to 18, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Heidelberg Catechism, citing this passage, says exactly the same thing. Prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness God requires of us. Prayer is required of us. In fact, prayer is integral. It is an essential part of who we are. We are to be praying people. And J.I. Packer, who is still alive, although very late in his life, a great author and preacher, wrote uh, this in his own book on the Lord's Prayer. It is not too much to say that God made us to pray. That prayer is not the easiest, but the most natural activity in which we ever engage. We were made to pray. If we go, as, as we say, back to the beginning. In the beginning, God created them male and female. He placed them in the garden. And what did they do there? But they communed, they talked with God. They were made in His image to pray. God has given us a sense of self-consciousness. He has given us an ability to think. He has given us an ability to communicate for the primary purpose of knowing Him and speaking to and with Him. And so we pray because prayer is everywhere in the Bible. There are over 600 recorded prayers in the Bible. The book of Psalms is 150 chapters of prayer and praising in prayer. We pray because we are told to pray, but we also pray because we need to pray. As a creature, we have need of our Creator to supply all of our own needs. We have a need for God. Now, one of the most common objections to prayer goes something like this. God knows everything. God knows precisely what's going to happen. So then why would I pray? Does prayer really change anything if God already knows everything and He knows the end from the beginning? Well, yes, prayer is still essential. And if Jesus prayed, far be it from us not to do the same. But we see in the Scripture time and time again that God uses prayer. That, that God does not have and teach this sort of, of fatalism that says, well, what will be, what will be. That, that's not the teaching of the Scriptures at all. Instead, God teaches that we are to pray and that He uses prayer. You, you see this in the, in the Scriptures so many places. Now, sometimes, is the answer to our prayers no? Yes. And even Jesus had a prayer to which the answer was no. You recall in the, the garden, He prays three times, Lord, if it, God, Father, if it is possible, God, if it is possible, take this cup of suffering from Me. And three times the answer was no, it is not possible. You think of the Apostle Paul. He prayed three times that God would remove from him the thorn, the messenger of Satan sent to torment him, and three times the answer was no. Sometimes God, for His own purposes, says no. But oftentimes, God gives what we ask. God gives, God gives the answer of a yes. Just, just consider this example from the Scriptures, the example of Hannah. Hannah found in... 1 Samuel, the first chapter. Hannah was married to Elkanah. They were both godly persons. And as godly persons, they would go to the place of worship once a year where the high priest was. And Hannah was a, a godly woman, but the Lord had closed her womb. 
And she desired, seemingly above all else, to have a child. And so she poured out her heart to God. And she comes to this, this place of worship on this particular time. And there she is praying. In fact, she prays so fervently that the high priest Eli thinks that she is drunk because she is so intense in her prayers. And when Eli accuses her of being drunk, we read this in her answer, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. And the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. The Lord answered her prayer. David asked for forgiveness, and the Lord answered him. The Israelites groaned in Egypt for a Savior, and the Lord sent Moses. Joshua prayed that the sun would stand still in the sky so they could fully defeat their enemies, and God made the sun stand still in the sky. You get the idea that God uses prayer, that God is sovereign, absolutely. We of all people, as, as Reformed or Presbyterian people, we believe that God is sovereign. But we also believe that in His sovereignty, God has ordained, God has chosen to use the humble prayers of His people to accomplish His purposes. Jesus teaches exactly that. You, you go to Luke 9, uh, Luke 11 rather, 9 to 13, the best passages we read. And we'll, we'll come back to these in a little bit, so recall them in your minds. We won't read them again. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God meets our needs through the instrument of prayer. And so we should be eager to present our needs to God in prayer. The Anglican prayer book, a, a reformed Anglican document, says, I pray unto God that He will send us all things that be needful both for our souls and our bodies. We pray for those things that we need. But we also pray out of hope. Prayer is an expression of hope. If we did not have hope in God, there would be no reason to pray. But we pray to tell God that our hope is in Him. We pray as an act of confidence that God hears and that in hearing, God delivers. We, we read through all the Scriptures. We see all the times that God has heard and answered. And we say, this God is still our God. And He still answers prayer. As He answered prayer in Genesis and Exodus and Samuel, so He still answers prayer today. Prayer is a vital part of what it means to be a Christian. 
To be a Christian is to have hope, and to have hope is to pray. I listened to a sermon this week by a great preacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones, great preacher from the previous century, and he was preaching on the passage from Hebrews 10. And in this, in this sermon, he, he said this, far better than I could ever say something. He says, prayer is vital to the Christian life. The Lord put it, men should always pray and not faint. The alternative to prayer is fainting. You can't go on with the Christian life without prayer. It's the way you receive power. It's essential. It's vital. So why pray? Because it honors God and because we need to and because it is vital to the Christian life. But then the question is asked, and we should ask and answer, how shouldn't we pray? How should we not pray? And this answer comes at least in part from Matthew 6, verse 5. <clears throat> in that passage, Jesus says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues, and on the street corners to be seen by men, I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. It, it might seem out of order to ask the question, how should we not pray, before we ask and answer the question of how should we pray. But Jesus doesn't take it in that order, and so neither will we. Jesus says, don't pray like hypocrites. And the, the word hypocrite in this instance is a word that was used for actors who were used for play actors, people who pretended to be something they were not. And Jesus says this kind of person pretends to be something they are not. They pretend to be pious. They pretend to be holy. They pretend to be humble. But the reality is quite the opposite. They are unholy, they are unrighteous, and they are proud. They, they attempt to put off the image that they honor God, but the reality is that while their mouths speak of God, their hearts hate God and love only themselves. And we are not to be this way. You think in, in the age of, of social media, it's very easy to be this way. It's very easy to post things on the internet that make ourselves look holy. Nice, religious-sounding posts while living a very different life behind the scenes. We are, we are not to make ourselves appear to be more holy and more pious than we really are. R.C. Sproul says we're not to parade our piety before the eyes of the world. We're not to make ourselves appear as something which we are not. Now, that does not mean that we keep our piety and our faith behind closed doors. It does not mean, Jesus is not saying that every time you are doing something right, you have to do it in private. I think Reformed Presbyterian people, we are far too often all too eager to keep our faith behind the door. And there are two extremes that we should avoid. We should, destroy, we should avoid the pride of hypocrisy, of making ourselves look holy, and we should avoid the cowardice of hiding our faith behind the door. We are to be holy, but we are not to say that we are more holy than we are. We ought to be holy because Christ lives in us. We are holy because Christ lives in us, but we should not be proud in our holiness. We should appear as what we are. We do not look and put on as though we are something that we are not. And Jesus goes on to say more in verse 7 from Matthew 6. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. 
For they think they will be heard because of their many words. And go on into verse 8. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. You know, pagans babble on and on and on. And they, they pray these, these formulaic prayers. And they make these incantations. And Jesus says, you are not going to be heard if you pray the same thing 30 times in a row. It's not as though God hears you on the 22nd time. God hears you the first time, and God knows what you need even before you ask it. So just lay a simple prayer before God and let Him do what He will do with your prayer. And you can remember an example of this from the book of Kings. When Elijah is on, is on the mountain with the prophets of Baal, and they're having this contest who is God? Is Baal God or is Yahweh the Lord God? And so the contest is they both lay out a sacrifice, and whichever sacrifice is consumed by fire, that is the real God. And Elijah gives the prophets of Baal the privilege, the, the advantage of going first. And so they chant and they shout and they dance all around this sacrifice for hours and hours and hours. And then they begin to cut themselves thinking that maybe if they shout louder, if they dance with more fervor, if they cut themselves, then their God will hear them. Elijah mocks them. Your God must be relieving Himself on the John. You should shout louder. You should dance with more fervor. But what does Elijah do? When they have nothing left to do, Elijah does this. He prays a simple two-sentence prayer. And fire falls from heaven, consuming the sacrifice, the water, and everything. And what do the people do? They shout, the Lord, He is God. All because of a simple two-sentence humble prayer. God is not manipulated like the deaf dumb and dead deities of the pagans. God hears the prayer which is offered in simplicity. And that's where we go with our next question. How should we pray? Well, Jesus spends the, the rest of the Lord's Prayer teaching us how we should pray, and so we'll consider that question and its answers as we go through the petitions of the Lord's Prayer in the weeks to come. Because Jesus Jesus begins his answer saying, this then is how you should pray. Uh, the heart and soul of our prayers should be modeled after the Lord's Prayer. Now that doesn't mean that we only ever say the words of the Lord's Prayer. The words of the Lord's Prayer are good words, and it is good to pray them, it's good to teach our children the Lord's Prayer. But it does not mean that we only pray that. But that's to be the pattern that we pray after. For instance, the Lord tells us to pray, forgive us our debts. We don't just say forgive us our debts, but it is right and good for us to mention to the Lord specific sins which we have committed against Him and to ask for forgiveness for specific sins. Or the Lord tells us to pray, lead us not into temptation. Well, when you wake up in the morning, when you, when you pray, you should think of all the temptations which you expect to face and say, Lord, lead me not into sin in these temptations. We don't, simply, we don't simply repeat rote words and prayer, but we pray the heart and soul of the Lord's prayer. But for now, we, we look at the heart that we should pray with in verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. In our prayers... 
We must seek the favor of God and only the favor of God. We never want to pray for the purpose of being heard by somebody else so that they think we are pious. We always address our prayers to God and in our hearts address our prayers to God as well. Now this is, this is a dangerous temptation, and I stand as one who week by week by week prays multiple times in front of all kinds of people. So if anybody knows the temptation to pray with a different audience than God, I think it should be me. But it is a danger which is to be resisted. We never pray for the purpose of somebody else thinking something of us. When a pastor prays or when a father prays or when an elder prays or when anybody prays anytime, somebody might be listening in on your prayer, but it is your prayer addressed to God. And in that sense, even though we stand together, we might still have the heart of one who goes into the closet to pray. But we shouldn't forget that we should pray on our own. That we should pray. That our prayers should be private. And that we should be eager to pray. That we should pray with simplicity and with humility. Jesus says this is the kind of prayer that will be rewarded. We, we see in the Scripture that, that God rewards those who seek Him. And the author of Hebrews even teaches us that that part of faith is believing that God rewards His people. We can recall the words from Hebrews, Hebrews 11, 6. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. God rewards us when we seek Him. And how better to seek Him, and where better to start seeking Him than to seek Him in prayer where He may be found. When you take stock of yourself, and when you think of your prayer, I think it forces us to be honest with ourselves about who we are, what our priorities really are, and just how God views us. I found a very convicting quote from Robert Murray McShane. He said, What a man is alone on his knees before God, that he is and no more. God does not reward us based on how other people see us. God rewards us based on who we actually are. So we ought not to deceive ourselves, but instead we should see ourselves as God sees us in our prayer. And finally, we see that we should pray persistently and with faith. You go back to the book of Luke, to Luke's account, and you see in in those verses from 5 to 8, Jesus teaches us to ask and seek and knock with boldness. In fact, Jesus goes so far as to compare us in our prayers to a very obnoxious neighbor. A neighbor who comes in the middle of the night at midnight and slams on a door and says, hey, would you bring out some food? I've got a guest and I need to give him something. I mean, if, if a neighbor slammed on my door at midnight and as an, a, an aging man with kids, I am almost always asleep at midnight. If someone came and slammed on, on my door asking for food, I would be highly annoyed. And that's precisely what this man is. But Jesus says you should pray in almost an obnoxious way. He compares us to that kind of boldness. The man will not be answered because he is his friend. Amen. He will be answered because of his boldness. Because he dared to pray 
boldly. And elsewhere in Luke's gospel, in Luke 18, he, he tells, Jesus tells a parable, another parable to this same effect. And Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge, <coughs> excuse me, who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect? who cried to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? These are not entirely flattering comparisons. The obnoxious neighbor and the widow who just won't go away. But Jesus says these are models for our prayer. To keep going again, and again, and again, in simple, humble, bold prayer. Isn't that, what, isn't that what Hannah did? Isn't that what Hannah did when she wanted a child? And she went again, and again, and again, and again to pray to the Lord, pouring out her spirit to the Lord with fervency and with boldness. And finally, when it seemed as though the answer was always no, finally the Lord relented and said, yes. We are to pray with that sort of persistent faith. And that's where Jesus ends that parable in Luke 18. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? When Jesus comes, will he find these kind of men and women of prayer? Will he find those who dare to pray with boldness and with persistence? who actually believed that God could and would care for them and meet their needs. Why wouldn't we? If God is a God who loves His people, why wouldn't we? If, if the annoyed neighbor who sleeps would answer, our God doesn't sleep, will He not answer? If the unjust judge will answer, our God is perfectly just, will He not answer? God is greater. And if they would answer the requests, then how much more will our God who loves us as His children? I mean, He's already bought us with the blood of His Son. What more can you think He could offer? If He's shown us that He is willing to give that, then what other good thing that we need will He withhold? We ought to come with faith, why wouldn't we? And I know that many of us are weak in prayer. In full disclosure, lest, you, lest I be found guilty of the hypocrisy that the Lord condemns, I, I do not want you to think that because I stand up here preaching on prayer that somehow I have it all figured out. Right? I, I want us to go through the Lord's Prayer as they say, together. And we are, we are many of us, weak in prayer. And so may it be that the Lord in the weeks and the couple months to come will strengthen us together in our prayer.
But I have a little bit of homework for you. And if you're not going to be here next week, you can still do the homework and listen to the sermon online. Firstchurchpca.org <laughs> But I want you to ask the question of yourself. What keeps me back from prayer? And what obstructs my prayers? What holds me back? And as we come next week to the very first words, Our Father who art in heaven, come ready with that answer. And ready over the next couple months to do battle with whatever it is that holds you back that together we might come with the same humble, simple prayers. Whether it's laziness or a doubt in God's goodness or a doubt in God's power, come ready to have it die here. We dare not doubt God's power. And I want to end with this from Paul's pen from Ephesians 3, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we echo the words of the disciple. Teach us to pray. Teach us to pray in simple, humble, faith-filled ways that are after your own example and which honor our Heavenly Father. We are like the man who said, I believe, help my unbelief. We want to pray. Help us to pray. Heavenly Father, over the course of the next few weeks, we desire to learn to pray and to pray well. Bless us with hearts filled with your Spirit, which are eager for prayer. Like Hannah and Joshua and the Hebrews and David and many others before us, give us a trust in your power and your goodness that propels us to our knees. Now we end as is fitting. We end our prayer praying together what the Lord taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.